It was a very rare unforced error by Bob Iger. I don't know why he did it. It would have been very easy to sit there and say, I don't want to discuss details, but I'm very hopeful that we will come to a resolution that is fair for all sides and the sooner the better. He went after them. He said they're being disruptive. Now he's become a villain. His picture is on these Marie Antoinette posters all over the strike line. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, July 18th. Today I'm joined by Matt Bellany to talk about the twin strikes that are putting Hollywood on lockdown. Writers and actors from the worlds of movies and television are demanding more from the big studios. And the studio execs, well, they aren't exactly winning the PR war. Matt is here to break down all the angles from the picket line. We'll dig into all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to The Powers That Be. I'm joined today by Matt Bellany, our illustrious Hollywood expert, host of The Town podcast. We have a lot to talk about. And Matt, welcome. Welcome back from South Carolina, my third favorite state. How was it? Uh, It was lovely. A little warm (laughs) this time of year, but it was a great time. I do love it there. Your Instagrams are making me a little jealous for those mossy trees and that sort of nighttime gin and tonic down in the low country. So Matt, uh, lots to talk about. Again, for people who are interested in the various strikes going on in Hollywood and how the studios are dealing with it, please listen to Matt's podcast, The Town. It has all the ins and outs of Hollywood. But for people who aren't obsessives about this, just to step back for a minute, Matt, we know that the Writers Guild has been on strike for many months now. The director's made a deal. They didn't go on strike. And now you have SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Guild. They're on strike. So for the first time in like 60 years, two major unions in Hollywood are on strike. Why did the actors suddenly decide to pull the trigger on this as well, along with the writers? Well, they believe that the studios turned their back on them and that they thought it was going fine. They were negotiating and making progress. And then they sort of said, oh, we're not authorized to give on these issues. I mean, it's not one particular thing that causes to break down. It's several issues. The AI issue gets a lot of attention. And yes, the actors want protection. So they get compensated and they consent if their images are used in AI programs. But there's a lot of old fashioned money jockeying here. The Mm -hmm. actors want a fairly significant raise in base minimum wages, more than 10%. And they also want increases for streaming residuals. And those are the royalties that are paid to actors when their work is reused. That is going to be a big mountain to climb because the studios look at the overall economics of streaming right now and they say, hey, we're not making any money on this. Maybe Netflix is, 
but we haven't figured out this model either. So why should we be paying more to our talent when we're not making that much more money? On this topic, Fran Drescher made a viral speech, uh, you know, when the strike began. A bunch of my friends sent it to me. It was pretty inspiring. And she's talking about how the studio heads, uh, you know, are all making millions and millions and millions of dollars and the lowly actors aren't. But you wrote about this in Puck. There is, there are rather plenty of actors who do make <laughs> a lot of money. The little guys don't. But you mentioned that like The Rock could be in one scene in a movie and make $25 million for that film. And then like a, another random actor could be in this very same scene and make like 25K. Not that Fran Drescher's speech should be criticized, but it sounds like you've been hearing from a lot of people around town that there were some loopholes in her French Revolution style speech. Yeah, not necessarily <laughs> loopholes, but certainly things that she did not mention that I think a lot of people are looking around going, wait, I think a lot of people are looking around and saying, if you hold up the top 10 executives over the past five years and put them next to the top 10 actors of the past five years, it would be a, cl a close battle to see who is making more. And the actors probably were making more, at least up front, over this period. So she's sort of ignoring the tip of the spear, high earning actors that make up a lot of the headlines of guild members. She's focusing mm -hmm. on the nitty gritty and the everyman actor. And that's smart of her because she's very effectively connecting this strike to the overall labor movement that's going on in this country, which I think there is a lot in common there. But the Screen Actors Guild and all of the Hollywood unions, they operate in a business entertainment where entertainment and sports are basically the only two industries in this country where there are both unions and agents. So there is a union to protect the bottom and there is an agent climate to protect the top. And that's where you get these wide varying salaries. And the majority of SAG does not work. The majority of the Actors Guild is not working at a given time. And the stats that we've seen is that only about 12% of SAG-AFTRA is making above the $26,000 a year threshold that you need to earn hmm. to get health insurance. So while the hmm. guild may have 160,000 members, only about, if you do the math, less than 20,000 of them are working. Hmm. So the studios are getting pressure from two directions now, writers and actors. They have different contracts embedded in, in, in these conversations. But when is this going to start to like have an impact on when movies are getting released? When movies are going to get finished. I mean, it, like, are we already coming up, up to that point? Well, movies and television are different because, first of all, everything is shut down right now. So there's no activity at all. And that impacts movies in two different ways. Immediately, it impacts the promotion of the movies that are already finished. So if you notice, the Barbie, Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer premieres, all they all happened last week before the strike. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The next movie that's coming out, the Jason Statham giant shark movie, The Meg 2, or Blue Beetle, a DC movie from Warner Brothers. Those are coming out in August. Those will not have stars doing promotion unless they taped it before. So that's a big deal, especially as we head into the fall film festival season, where these a lot of smaller movies that really depend on actors to promote them and get the word out. Uh -huh. There's a Zendaya movie called Challengers where it's sort of a romantic threesome dramedy set in the world of tennis. 
And they paid her $10 million to do that movie. She's a great actress, but they also counted on the fact that she can get on every single website around the world by showing up on a red carpet in a fashionable outfit. Or By the way, just to, just to interrupt, media. Matt, the only reason I know about that movie is because I've seen random memes made out of clips from that film. But that's the only reason I know it, which, you know, maybe maybe that maybe that deal makes sense if Zendaya's got that kind of viral. Well, that's reach. why they hire yeah. her. I mean, her Instagram follower count alone is at more than one hundred and three million. And that's promotion you can't buy. Her fans will all know about that movie, but now SAG is telling its members they can't promote studio movies on social media. So that movie, if it comes out as planned and it goes to the Venice Film Festival, will come and go without Zendaya saying a thing about it. And she's a huge star. So that's the immediate problem. The more long-term problem is that the longer these movies are dark, the more the summer 2024 movie calendar is impacted. The biggest one that I'm looking at is Deadpool 3, mm-hmm. which has that early May Marvel release slot that they love, that you know the biggest movie of the summer typically kicks off the summer. And Deadpool 3, if this strike goes more than a few weeks, that movie will absolutely not be ready for that slot next summer. So they have to move it, and then what? Do they move it later in the summer? Do they squander some box office by not having it kick off the season and play all summer like these movies typically do? And that conversation is happening all over Hollywood right now. They're looking at the landscape and saying, oh, where are we on these movies? And will we hit our release date? Matt, I want to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to ask you about the subject of the nanny's attacks. Some of these studio heads. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. We're talking about the double strike in Hollywood and what it means for the movies and television. Matt, you have the Actors Guild on strike. You have the Writers Guild on strike. The directors made a deal, as we discussed before. Obviously, the general mood of these strikes is that the studios, their executives are overpaid. There are concerns about residuals. There's concerns about AI. Are there specific places of overlap with, for these two unions? Like when you get down to the nitty gritty, like where can they work together? Well, first of all, they are out on the picket line together. So just that fact alone is adding heft to both strikes. I mean, I was just driving down Pico Boulevard in front of the Fox lot, and that is a huge location for strikers. There's probably maybe 500, 600 people out front right now in the hot sun. So just the attention that all these actors bring to the Mm -hmm. writers is good for both of them. On Mm -hmm. the actual issues, 
They actually are the most aligned. The directors did not seem to care as much about the AI issue. The writers and the actors have different forms of AI. The writers are afraid of programs like ChatGPT and things like that that can write scripts without a human involved. The actors mostly care about the usage of their likeness, meaning they don't want to sign over the right to use their name, image, and likeness in movies in perpetuity without mm-hmm. getting compensated and getting consent to that use. And the studios have not been willing to agree to a consent regime that the the actors find acceptable. So those are where they're aligned. There's some other smaller issues where they're less aligned. The actors tend to get fewer residuals than the creators, the writers do. So they want bigger improvements there. The actors are asking for more increases in basic wages than the writers are. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want to account for inflation. But the actors and the writers are aligned on a ton of these issues. Is there a possibility as this goes on that the Writers Guild, for instance, might start trying to peel off studios one-on-one? All of the studios are negotiating the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. That's them. They're the bad guys, according to the the unions. But like Paramount and Sony have different business models than Netflix, for example. Is there a world where these guilds start to negotiate like one to one with the studios and start to like peel them off one by one? Or is that would that just be a bad faith (laughs) breach? Depends who you ask. If you talk to the studio side, they say, absolutely not. We are a united front. The whole reason we negotiate in a cartel together is because (laughs) of, I mean, they are. They are literally a a government-sanctioned cartel. They are allowed to collude for the one purpose of negotiating labor agreements with these unions. So Mm -hmm. they are taking advantage of that, and they say that they are going to remain united. It's easy to say that on day three of a strike, Mm -hmm. as we're in right now. It's Mm -hmm. less easy to say that on day 133, when certain of these AMPTP members will be hurting a lot worse than some of the other members. If Disney's summer movie calendar is upended, Netflix doesn't care about a summer movie calendar. That's Mm -hmm. immaterial to them. They don't even release movies in theaters. So they have very, very different businesses. And if the pressure starts getting put on these companies, perhaps we do see a splintering. I I don't see it yet, but if it gets really bad, maybe we do see it. I mean, it wasn't a given. Netflix wasn't part of the AMPTP until recently. And they joined because they wanted conformity in their union deals. They figured it would be easier to get the same deal that everybody else gets and to have it be lockstep rather than negotiating separately with each guild. And now, you know, we'll see if that lasts. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, if the unions start playing some of these studios against each other. Speaking of studios, Bob Iger, whose tenure has been extended at Disney. We talked about this on Media Monday. John Kelly and I, he was in Sun Valley, came in on his private jet like a lot of these folks, did an interview with CNBC. He strongly criticized the Writers Guild and the actors, the strikes, calling them disruptive, disturbing, a shame, damaging. We treat Iger and some of these other executives as just like titans of industry and demigods. I mean, is there any criticism or blowback here? Like those comments just came off again in Sun Valley. It's pretty out of touch. Is he speaking for all the other studio heads at this point? Because that's like, that's a bad surrogate interview in my mind. It was a unforced error, a very rare unforced error by Bob Iger, who is normally 
the picture of managed press and very deliberate speech. I don't know why he did it. It would have been very easy to sit there and say, I don't want to discuss details now, but I'm very hopeful that we will come to a resolution that is fair for all sides and the sooner the better. Easy, done, move on. He went after them. He said they're being disruptive. They're not being reasonable. And that now he's become a villain. His poster, his picture is on these Marie Antoinette posters all over the strike lines. And he's getting criticized in the media like he's never been criticized before, I don't think. Some conspiracy theories say that he was just up in the mountains with all these moguls and they were probably all talking this way and it just spilled into his interview. Some people believe that this was a deliberate shot across the bow. This is the guy who has a lot of credibility within the industry based on his track record at Disney. Perhaps he was the best voice to put that sentiment out there because in many ways he wasn't wrong. It is disruptive and it's not the greatest time for there to be a strike in Hollywood. But obviously that minimizes some of the grievances that these guilds have. And it sort of, uh, it makes him feel like he's up on the mountain looking down on everyone, which is not what you want. No, not at all. Not at all. Matt, thanks so much for your insight. Reminder, everyone listen to Matt's podcast, The Town in partnership with The Ringer for all the good gossip coming out of Hollywood. Thanks, buddy. No problem. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.